ritualized of the kind of holidays, or in this case a holy day, it's not really a holiday, uh, but you don't have, you know, a lot of the things that you do with Christmas uh, in, in the uniquely American days even, but um, lots of neat things about Easter, even, even the secular aspects of it. I love watching those kids go and do those Easter egg hunts, and uh, they, they build up to those and get all excited, get dressed right according to the weather, and make sure they have baskets or something to put their candy in, and, and, and they all are just a little bit different, but the one thing they all have in common is they get there and they line up behind lines or whatever, and when they say go, it's done in about 10 seconds. I mean, 10 seconds. The place is just completely ravaged. Some kids are excited. Some are crying and all that, but, but what a deal. Another one is you go into the farm stores or feed stores, and, and uh, you, you see in there they'll have the cattle watering tanks, and you might see... Um, chicks in them, and I went the other day here next door to Blue Ribbon, and I was getting some seed, and they had one of those, and I expected to see chicks, and uh, they had in there some brown rabbits, which is kind of unusual, and of course, I didn't buy those. The, I generally go the other direction with rabbits. They're usually trying to eat my garden, and I'm trying to get rid of the rabbits instead of adopting them. That reminded me of the only kind of Easter-related story I know like that, and it happened out in the country, and a fellow was kind of piddling around out there, and he looked over and he saw a car go down the road, and uh, he was a little bit a ways away, but clear enough, not far, too far that he couldn't see what was going on, and the car was going by on the gravel road, and all of a sudden a rabbit swerved out, and the guy tried to brake, but he didn't do it in time, and he hit the rabbit and, and uh, obviously killed the rabbit, and uh, the guy stood over a distance still watching, and the guy got out of his car and went around and looked at the rabbit, and he kind of looked around and kind of funny, and he didn't happen to see this fellow, and he went back and he opened the trunk of his car, and he got something out, and it was an aerosol can, and he went around to the front of the car where the rabbit was, and he sprayed the rabbit with the aerosol can. And just a few seconds later, the rabbit kind of began to stir and shake itself and that kind of thing, and then all of a sudden the rabbit got up and just started hopping away. It started hopping down the road. But every few hops, it would stop, and it would turn around toward the guy in the car, and it would go like this. And then it would take a few more hops down the road, and it would do the same thing, turn around and hop, and it just did that until it got out of sight. And the fellow went around to get back in his car, and the other guy that was watching started, you know, doing this kind of business, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And the guy was kind of embarrassed that anybody had saw, seen him, but uh, the fellow came down there and said, I, that was the most amazing thing I ever saw. That rabbit was clearly dead, and you sprayed it with something that got up, and it was alive, and it ran off, and all that kind of thing. And he said, can I ask what that was you sprayed it with? And he kind of sheepishly showed him the can, and on the can it said, hair restore with a permanent wave. <laughs> now, Eddie, we could use that, but without the wave deal, I'm sure. Uh, okay. You'd, we'd settle for the wave. Okay, we, uh, we're, we again welcome you. So, so glad you've joined us to celebrate the resurrection. And uh, Christmas is great, and, and you love the cute factor of celebrating God's Son coming here as a baby. But it really is His death, and then of course His resurrection, that is the significant part of the salvation process that Jesus 
came here to initiate and, and then uh, to go through and to endure. As we mentioned last week, we believe, Christendom does, that the resurrection of Jesus, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, is the single greatest event in human history. Now, I want to combine this, and this is our last one. Uh, next Lord's Day, by the way, Aaron Miller, our youth minister, will be preaching. And uh, I, I was scheduled to be gone. Um, we were going to go back to Ohio. My mom is in the later stages of metastatic breast cancer, and uh, she was going up there for some scans and so forth. And uh, we we're going to go back there and celebrate her birthday, uh, basically the family she has left on Saturday. Uh, her birthday is next Sunday. Uh, but that's kind of changed. She's got some other things going on right now in Florida, and I, I don't know what will happen then, if I'll be gone or not. But, but Aaron will be preaching anyway, so we look forward to that. I look forward to hearing him. I've not yet ever heard Aaron preach, so that's next Lord's Day. But we want to finish today uh, questions for Jesus. And there's a number of questions, and I want to combine some of those this morning. Uh, not just that were asked of Jesus during his ministry, because we've looked at several of those, but even during that final week of his life as it leads up to his death and then his resurrection. Some, again, were not directed toward Jesus, but were about Jesus. And some of them were in a, bit, a little bit different form, but they were really asking a question. Now turn with me if you would, primarily I've done this out of Matthew so far, but use a couple of the other Gospels this morning. Let's begin with Luke chapter 23, and I never really noticed this before, how close these were. I knew there were different ones, but I didn't notice how close they were. In Luke chapter 23, and beginning with verse 35 and through 39, and we'll read about five verses, Three different times by four different either people or groups of people, Jesus is essentially asked the same question. Now, they don't put it in the form of a question, more like maybe kind of a demand, but it's really a question. You won't see a question mark at the end of this, but it's really a question. So Luke chapter 23 and beginning with verse 35. Jesus is right here. This is Friday, and Jesus is on the cross. He's being crucified. He's being put to death. Well, the people stood watching, and presumably that's kind of the general crowd. And the rulers even snared, sneered at him. They said, and this is occurrence number one, there'll be three right in a row, almost the same thing. They said, the rulers said, well, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. Verse 36, while the soldiers, that would be the ones who physically not only arrested Jesus, but led him through the process of being tried and then being crucified, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said... And notice each one has just a little bit of a different title for him as they address him. But they, the soldier said, if you're the king of the Jews, if you're really the king of the Jews, save yourself. And again, they're really asking a question. And they don't expect any good answer to. Well, they're really saying, if you're the king of the Jews, why don't you save yourself? 
going on from there. Well, that was because there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. Now, verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Then save yourself and us. So, three times, four different groups of people, the the regular people and the leaders and the soldiers and then a criminal basically say the same thing to Jesus and it's a question, even if it doesn't have a question mark at the end. Why don't you save yourself? You, you, you supposedly healed people and, and fed people miraculously and did all these great things, but if you're the Messiah, if you're the Son of God, if you're the Christ, if you're the King of the Jews, then come down from there and save yourself. Why don't you do that? Basically, if you are who you say you are, you would have the power even to get down from the cross, from that predicament you're in, and save yourself. And you know, in that they were right. He did have the power to do that. He could do that. But they were all wrong. Here's the truth of the deal. Right here. He could have come down from that cross, from that horrible crucifixion. He could have come down if all he cared about was saving himself. But he couldn't come down Because all he cared about was saving them and us. Jesus didn't just die on the cross for you. He stayed on the cross for you. In Mark chapter 16, back a gospel, Mark chapter 16, in the first five verses, Friday afternoon has come and gone. He didn't come down, he chose not to, so that he could save us, so that he could save them, even the ones jeering at him, even the ones crucifying And he's been put in a tomb. And they've rolled a big stone across the entrance to the tomb. And they've made it as secure as they know how by even posting soldiers there to guard the tomb. And Saturday's come and gone. In which his body was in the tomb. And when the Sabbath was over, that would be early Sunday morning, now, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. 
Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Well, we want to anoint his body, but we know it's secure. There are guards here. They will probably allow us to do this, but who's going to roll that stone away? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed, probably scared to death is a good description. Don't be alarmed. I know you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene the one who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. Look at the place where they laid him. The announcement by an angel. Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? In John chapter 20, in verses 13 through 15, there's an interesting account there of Mary individually going to find the, the body of Jesus. We'll kind of close with this account. John chapter 20. The disciples went back to their homes, but Mary Magdalene stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb. And she saw angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. And they said, woman, why are you crying? Well, they've taken my Lord away, and she means his body. They, they've taken his body somewhere, obviously. And I don't know where they've put him. Now, at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. And then instead of the angel, Jesus said to her, Why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking instead that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I'll get him or get help and get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, And then she knew, she realized, she recognized. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, an Aramaic teacher. First it was an angel asking, and then it was Jesus. Why are you crying? And then there's the, the tearful realization and reunion. The answer to the angel and Jesus' question would have been something like this, I'm sure. Well, she's crying because she thought Jesus was dead, or still dead. And 
her belief, her hope that Jesus was the Messiah was gone. But she couldn't be more wrong. Their question is a good one. Why are we crying? Who is it we're looking for? Interesting how the Jewish people then made up a story that Jesus, the disciples stole Jesus' body and they even paid the guards to tell this story to the authorities and then other people and that story got circulated. Many still believe that, Scripture records. Who is it you're looking for? She was looking for Jesus and she presumed she would find a dead Jesus and instead she encountered a live one. Now here's the bottom line that we want to close with. And I want to hopefully tie all this together, not just for Easter, but as God intends that this makes a difference for each of us, for all of our lives. God made you. You're here because God wanted you to be here. I'm not talking about in this building for church. I'm talking about in existence. You're not here by accident. You're not here by coincidence. You're not here by chance. I know a lot of us have been taught that even from as young as we can remember. That's not so. You're not here by accident or coincidence or chance. You're here on purpose because God wanted you to be and you're here for a purpose. And that's to be with Him and to belong to Him forever, starting now. That's how the death and resurrection of Jesus is relevant to us, to each of us, to every one of us. He made us to have fellowship with him, and we hurt that, we devastated that by sinning and bringing upon ourselves, each of us, the punishment for sin, which Scripture records is death, But Jesus paid that. And being the perfect Lamb of God, He's the only one that could do that. And so His death paid for our sin. And then His resurrection provided for our salvation. That's why these last three days are all important. They, they, they really encapsulate all of our existence here and what God wants for us. Even if we change that and hurt that, 
God made that possible for that to be so. What do I do about that? Damn. What do I do about that? Well, what we do about it is what Scripture records. You decide right now, if you've not ever done that, that you want to become a follower of Jesus. You want to make His death pay for your sin, and you want to make His resurrection provide for your salvation. And you do that by being obedient to Him. You can't do that any other way. You can't say, well, God, I like that, I believe that, but I just really don't want to do for whatever reason everything you want me to do. Can't do that. Doesn't work that way. God, what do you want me to do? You've got to believe with all your heart that He exists and that He wants to give you salvation. You, you repent of your sin. You say, hey, I was headed a different direction, God. Not toward you, but away from you. But I want to change that right now and live for you. I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. I'm sorry for your son having to die for my sin. You want him to be the savior of your life. You confess him. You're baptized into him. That's an important part of scripture. For a lot of people, for some people, that's this big, giant, hard-to-do thing that they just can't wrap themselves around. But it's the simplest thing. It's so simple. The, the beauty of that is its simplicity and the picture of it. And God asks us to simply do that. It's not a big deal, but it's a big deal. And then you live for Him. We're going to stand and sing our chorus of decision. And if you've not taken those steps and, and got into a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is what Easter is all about, then please consider doing that right now, today, sometime soon. Let's stand as we sing. Don't forget, if you happen to have reserved uh, one of the lilies, go ahead and take that this morning. We'll, we'll uh, fill in with other ones. We've got plenty. Let's pray together, and then we'll close with a song. Heavenly Father, uh, this morning especially, we, we, we hope we do that every Lord's Day and honor you that way, recognize your son's death when we uh, observe communion, recognize his resurrection all of the time, that he rose from the dead and, and because of that we can too. Father, this day is so significant. This event is, is all important. And we thank you in your wisdom for making possible our salvation. We're sorry for our sin. We're excited that you've saved us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.